Hey everyone, this is Christ Presbyterian Church in New Haven with CPC Podcasts, and you're listening to The Sunday Sermon. Our Old Testament passage this morning is from Ezekiel chapter 34, starting in verse 2. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Skipping to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Our New Testament passage is from John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Welcome, welcome. I am Pastor Jerry Ornelas, and welcome to those that are watching online. We are, I am glad, we're glad that you're here. Um, Let's pray, ask the Lord's blessing upon his word, and let's get started. Oh, Father in heaven, how good and how beautiful you are and how sweet it is to gather in your presence, to hear from you, to be fed by you, O Lord, to to bring our most perplexing questions before you and to have them dealt with, to have our sins dealt with, O Lord. 
to be shown the pathway to life, the pathway to freedom, Lord, this is what we have come here for. And only you can grant us that. So, Lord, may by your spirit, may you grant us that. May you fill us. May you lift us up. May you bind the broken wounds of the brokenhearted. May you restore the backslider. And may you encourage those who are faint of heart. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, children, I want to start off telling a story to you. The adults can listen. But I want to tell a story to you. It wasn't too long ago that I was a kid. And I remember my father. Now, he wasn't a shepherd, but he loved pigeons. Pigeons, yes. He, he, would, raise, he would raise pigeons. And I remember walking outside and seeing my dad open the door and all the pigeons would fly out. And he'd watch them fly. He'd watch them fly and he'd whistle. Some little whistle. And that kept them in line. That kept them in the same vicinity that he was because they knew his voice. He had this particular bird, pigeon, that they're called rollers. Now, this is interesting. Pigeons normally, when they land, they land like this, right? Just fly down. Well, this one breed of pigeon, called a roller, wouldn't do that. It would ball up and tumble down. And then, usually, not all the time, but usually they'd open up the wings and land. Sometimes they'd just go complete. But the way that they would do that, he would, he would whistle, he'd say something, and they'd know his voice. And they come down. Well, and I remember that from my father because the pigeons knew my father's voice and they listened to him. And that's the picture that we have here in John's gospel, right here in chapter 10. But for them, it was sheep. They were around sheep all the time. They knew shepherds. It was part of their daily living living in a rural community, and Jesus wants them to have this picture of Vermont on what a good shepherd is. And he's a good shepherd because he cares for his sheep, and he knows his sheep by name. And he will eventually give his sheep life. Now, the crowds, when they hear this analogy, this, this metaphor of, of a shepherd, they're, they're definitely thinking, in a sense, horizontally, the shepherds that they do see, the shepherds that they do know, but they're also thinking vertically. All throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the Old Testament, a shepherd wasn't just an occupation that herded sheep, but it was also a description of the king. You know the famous psalm, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. There King David, who himself was a shepherd, calls God his shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But you know David wasn't the, the first one to call God his shepherd. Genesis 48, 15, Jacob, in his later years, after many, many years of, of failure and limping with God through life, he can say this, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. And we catch a glimpse, a sense of the flavor of what it means for those who stray, such as Jacob and such as some of us, many of us, all of us, to discover that the Lord is our shepherd. Those who know what it means to fall, yet we're able to say, the Lord lifts me up. He restores me. He leads me. Even when I fall, he leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Even if I walk through the valley of death, we know that the Lord is with us. 
We get a sense of that's what Jesus wants us to, to feel. But perhaps, even though Psalm 23 and Genesis 48 15 are definitely in Christ's mind, probably more so than that was the verse, verses that we read in Ezekiel 34, where it says again, Behold, I, I myself will teach my sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, I will rescue them from places to where they've been scattered. And he goes on to say at the end, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down. So you see, in the midst of, of this analogy, this, this metaphor of Christ being the shepherd, he wants them to see that behind all the Old Testament images of a shepherd herding sheep, he's saying the true shepherd has come. That all those things that the, the kings were pointing to, that all the shepherds were pointing to, that King David was pointing to, that here in Ezekiel, God's referring to, that one has come. That one has come. And that one is going to lead his sheep, his people, into green pastures and make them lie down. Now, this is why, exactly why the Jews are constantly out to kill him. We've heard over and over again in John's gospel that the Jews, anytime he, he said anything close to him being God himself, they were ready to take his life. We saw it in John chapter 8, where at the end he declares to be the great I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And there they do. They pick up stones to kill him. We see it here in John 10. We see it at the end of this chapter where they want to kill him. But he, he calls himself one with the Father. And many times he says that I am the shepherd. I am the door. I am the gate. All those references are referencing and pointing to the fact that he is God in the flesh. And Christ underscores this as often as he does with these words, truly, truly, I say to you. He underscores it by saying everything that I'm getting ready to share with you, to tell you, is absolutely true and absolutely essential. There's truths here that Christ wants to imprint upon our souls. There's truths here that he wants to sear into our minds. There are things that I'm going to tell you that I want you to get a hold of, dear disciples. He wants you to get a hold of this. It's so essential to the Christian life. It's this, I am, Christ is the good shepherd. Underscore in your mind, underline, highlight that word, good. The good shepherd. So how does he, how does he do this? Well, he speaks of the character he displays as a good shepherd. And he partly does this by comparison with others. He says, those who have come before me are thieves and robbers. Now, he's thinking of those in that day who claimed to be the shepherds of Israel. That being the, the, the Pharisees, the, the Sadducees, those who are going to lead Israel spiritually. And he says very critically of them that they were nothing but thieves and robbers. That is, they are simply in it for what they can get out of it. They are simply in it for what they can get out of it. They are, they are in leadership for the praise that leadership, that leadership acquires, not for the service and the care that spiritual leadership ought to bring upon sending exhausted souls. In the context of John, of, of this chapter, what precedes John 10 is what we heard the past two weeks in John chapter 9. Like a motion picture, 
John chapter 9 shows us what these religious leaders were like. They were more willing to condemn a man born blind who was healed than they were to rejoice in the work of God. They robbed this man of the dignity that Christ conferred on him. They robbed him by shaming him. Christ said to the man, it, was, it wasn't due to any sin of his that he was born blind, but it was to show the work of God in his life. And at the end of John 9, what do we see? They called him, no, you were you are born in utter sin, and they cast him out. In other words, they were saying, shame on you for thinking God would work in your life this way. Shame on you. And that's the danger in leadership, especially in spiritual leadership. And Jesus is telling them, saying, if your eyes are open, that's exactly what you see all around you. These so-called spiritual leaders, they don't have as their heart's passion to bring you the blessing from God. But Christ says, but I do. My heart's passion is to lead you to green pastures. My heart's passion is to restore your soul. To restore to you what sin has broken. So he gives us these beautiful ways of describing the nature of the relationship between the good shepherd and his sheep. First, he says he, he knows his sheep. Again, underline that phrase, knows his sheep. This is one of the most vital truths you and I can know. There are times you may think that no one else understands you. No one knows you. No one gets you. There are probably recesses of your heart that you don't even understand. Why am I like this? Why do I feel this? Why do I do this? Why is this happening to me? And you may have been scarred by religious leaders with cliche answers or harsh responses. Or maybe by parents or friends who you thought loved you, but they couldn't bear to hear what you have to say to them and share with them. So you feel shamed. What Jesus is saying, you can know the good shepherd who you can turn to and say, Lord Jesus, you know me. And you understand me. And the whole world, my whole world may fall apart. I mean, I have the vocabulary. But you, O oh Lord, know me. He not only knows his sheep, he calls his sheep by name. And the sheep recognize his voice. He leads them out to pasture, and there in verse 10 he says it gives them abundant life. What's he talking about here with this abundant life? He's talking about that rich blessing that all true sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ experience. And what is that? That they hear the shepherd's voice. They hear his voice. And as we live our lives filled with all of his concerns and setbacks and tragedies, in those moments of dark valleys and shadows, and we, but as we sit under the preached word of God, we realize that there has always been this one single consistent voice. This voice, Christ says, addresses you by name. And it's a familiar and it's a faithful voice. Did you notice how verse 3 and 4 reads? The sheep hear his voice and he calls the sheep by their name. That's the familiarity. He leads them out, and when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. There's a faithfulness. 
For example, as you listen to the preaching of God's word week in, week out, you realize that these aren't just sounds and words coming from the preacher's lips and bouncing off the walls and into your ears. But there's a particular voice that breaks through and convicts you of sin where you once were stubborn or gives you clarity where there once was darkness or hope where there was none before. Or you've had it rough. For whatever reason, the heavy burden of life is weighing on you. And of course, if you and I are honest, much of the responsibility falls squarely on our shoulders for that. Your sins have carried you places you ought not go. They have kept you longer than you're willing to stay. And they have cost you more than you've been willing to pay. Yet by God's grace, you're here. You're here. For years, you've walked into church with a spiritual limp. You've come to a place where the familiar, faithful voice of Christ is heard over and over and over again. At times, it may feel like one of us pastors has, uh, has your journal, maybe, and has read it. How did he know? Or maybe you may think that we have some special power. We know your thoughts. We don't. If that's been the case, you're hearing Christ's voice. Christ's voice being preached through his word. That's the familiar, the faithful, the powerful, the, the blessed voice you hear. To be convicted of sin. To come in here limping and then to hear Christ forgives you. That's his voice to you. That's his voice. Or not, not just through the preaching of the word. It may be through the, through the, through the prayers of the saints, through the, all the singing that we do. It could be through the, the confession of sin and then hearing the pastor declare forgiveness. It could be through the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. All of these things, the, 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 the shepherd has his way of speaking and breaking through our barriers, penetrating our hearts and catching us where we need to be caught. That's the familiar and faithful voice you're hearing of Christ, the, the good shepherd. But a natural question arises, and it's simple. Have you experienced this? Have you? And if you haven't, it's probable you're not one of his sheep. I believe that's what Christ's saying here. He does say that he has other sheep out there, though, that he must bring them in also. And when he calls them, they will listen, he says. And we'll get more on that next week. But for, for now, the same voice that speaks and works in the hearts of those who follow Christ is the same voice calling to you now. The moment you walked into this church, the moment the call to worship was ushered in, Christ was speaking to you, calling you. Calling you to himself and away from the spiritual abuse of sin. Away from the, from the shame that sin brings. And you don't have to wait to hear what Christ thinks of you. That's the thing. You don't have to wait. He doesn't stare at you with a critical eye or an eye of censure. Measuring you up. Wait, wait and see if you measure up to, his, to the moral standards. Before he accepts you. No. Now, he may point the finger and call out a sin. He may reveal a sin. 
But just as much as he reveals us and he opens his arms wide, ready to embrace you. Are you a skeptic or an atheist or an agnostic this morning? Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. This good shepherd wants to know you, wants to have a relationship with you. Do you struggle with any form of addiction? Jesus loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. He's calling you now. Have you been holding on to guilt or shame for, for weeks, for days, for months, for years? And sort of calcified, maybe, in your heart? You just hope that it goes away? Well, Jesus loves you and wants to have a relationship with you. This good shepherd wants to know you, and he's calling you into the light. Not to shamefully expose you, but for healing, for restoration. For that's what it's like to hear his voice. You hear it and you follow Who wouldn't want to follow a voice that beckons you for life, that offers the promise of life? Why would you reject that? Well, I want to draw your attention to to something John's gospel has been saying all along. There's this question. How do the sheep hear the shepherd's voice? Or better put, in other words, what makes it possible to hear Christ's voice so that we may follow Christ? In other words, how do we follow Jesus? Well, the answer is a shepherd must call. He must do the calling. In verse 3, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. You see, Christ must call us to himself. He calls, then we follow. You must hear the voice of Christ before you can even come to Christ. Your heart must go where your body can't. You see, Christ is sort of outside of the range of our intuitive radar, so to speak. We can't just approach him by digging deeper to find some self-revelation. As, you know, as useful as psychology is, and it is useful, the jargon we use sometimes often replaces biblical knowledge, where sin has been eclipsed by pathology. We're no longer sinners. We're we're, we're simply sick. We're sick. That's all. And ironically, we, we find out that it's easier to be cleansed of sin than it is to be healed of a diagnosis. You see, in God's world, there is no conflict management with sin. Your soul and all its brokenness needs more than a diagnosis. It needs a shepherd. It needs someone who is going to lead your soul from sin and into the green pastures of Christ's rest, the life that he promises. So Jesus shows us in this beautiful way that this is the character of the good shepherd. But that's most fully revealed when he goes on to speak of the sacrifice a shepherd makes. He says several times in chapter 10, notably in verse 11, but also in verse 15 and verse 17. 
There's, that there's three times in space of seven verses, Jesus spells this out. I lay down my life for the sheep. He's talking about his death there. His death upon the cross. Now, notice several things about this death. It's, it's, it's voluntary. It's voluntary. Again, more on this will be covered next week. But notice verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Two times in one verse, the good shepherd is mentioned. And all the action is placed on him. He wasn't coerced. Did you notice that? Nor was his death plan B for a failed plan A. He laid it down voluntarily. And when we go to the end of John's gospel, that's exactly what we see. We see him laying down his life. He bows his head and commits his spirit into the Father's hand, where he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That is where he's laying his life down on his own accord. But it's not only a voluntary death, it's a sacrificial death. He's dying for others. Again, notice the second part of verse 11. He lays down his life for the sheep. And later on in John's narrative, through the end of John, Jesus explains more fully to his disciples what this means, and he uses the image of a shepherd. And he cites Zechariah 13, 7. Let me read it to you. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. And Christ before his disciples are saying, this is what is being fulfilled before you. So what's he talking about? What's this smiting of the shepherd? It's an echo of Isaiah 53, if you remember your Bibles, where the shepherd himself is going to be the one sacrificed as a lamb. The shepherd himself will be led as a lamb to the slaughter. He will be wounded, wounded for the transgression of others, bruised for the iniquity of others, for the peace of others. He will be stricken and smitten for other people's stripes. For his stripes, others will be healed. This is the shepherd giving his life for the sheep. Now, did you notice who smites the shepherd? Who smites the son? Did you notice there? It's the Lord who's doing the smiting. And as you and I look at the cross of where Jesus there hangs, we must ask this question because this question lingers over the crucifixion. It lingers over this. If he's dying for me, does the Father love me more than him? If he's dying for me, and this is the Father's son, this is the, fa this is the shepherd the Father sends. If he's there on the cross dying for me, then does the Father love me more than him? You know, we cherish verses like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There it is. We're set free as a son dies. We're given life as a son experiences death. Or we cherish Romans 3, 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift of the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to receive by faith. There it is again. 
Christ is put forward, we're given righteousness. And as we joyfully sang in the hymn earlier, with the phrase, because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Is it that, do you feel the, the, the conundrum, the paradox there? I hope you do. So what's the answer to that question? What's the answer to that question? And it's one that, 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 that lingers with me. And it has been my entire Christian life that, that, that question, how, oh, Father, can you love me in a sense at Christ's expense? Well, the answer is given to that. To that. And really, this sermon should have gone through verse 17. It should have. Because the answer is given there. So let me read it to you. And I'll let Craig drive it home next week. (laughs) He says this. If we ask the question, does the father love the son as he's crushing the son? He says, for this reason the father loves me. Why? Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. The father loves the son as the son is dying for you. That is profound. There's a depth to that that we should spend the rest of our days trying to grasp and understand. Let me give an an, an illustration. Again, children, I use my father. As you can tell, I love my father. But from, for, I played football for 15 years. 11 of those years, my father came to every single one of my games. Never missed one. From the time I was seven years old to the time I was 22. Oh, that's not the right math, but, (laughs) you know, (laughs) 15 years, (laughs) but 11 years. So for a long time, every single game, and I'd, he'd always stand in a place where I could see him. Sometimes he would do the chain gain. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up. But it, the people who have the markers, he'd, he'd be doing that. Other times he would just be there in the front stands. And he'd be cheering me on. Cheering me on as he, as he saw me play my best. Encouraging me when he saw me at my worst. But at each moment he loved me. It's almost like he was saying, that's my boy. And on the cross, that's exactly what it's like the father's doing. He's looking at the son saying, that is my boy. He is willing to be obedient to the point of saving his own sheep. And I love him. I love him for it. So, if you ask the question, does the father love the son even as he's crushing the son for me? And the father responds, you need to understand, even on the cross, I loved my son. I love him. This is magnificent because it was there that our sins were carried away by the Lord. Taken away. But they're in such a way that the love of the son for the father comes to its fullest expression 
and his obedience to the Father. And the love of the Father for the Son comes to its most beautiful point as he says, that's my beloved Son, in him I'm well pleased. And this is the wonder of all wonders, Christian. And this is where I'll end. That you and I are wrapped up in this love. It's for you. And it's for you if you place your faith in Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to CPC Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you liked this show, consider a five-star rating, share it with your friends, or write to us at podcast at cpcnewhaven.org.